0: Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. This is where you can get answers to your coaching questions. I'm coach Jonathan Lee, and I have coach Chad Timmerman with me. Hello. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to go over more of those coaching questions you've submitted to us and do our best to answer them for you today. You can submit your questions to us at trainerroadcom slash podcast, cycling, triathlon training, whatever it is, uh, we'll do our best to answer it. We comb through all the questions and pick out, uh, as many as we can, that we feel are applicable, entertaining, interesting, and we put them in each week into the feed and then we go through them. So submit them there, trainerroad.com slash podcast. You can also submit them on Twitter or Instagram, and you just use the hashtag ask trainer road. And we'll comb through that and see those there. And you can also find us on Snapchat. Just look us up at Trainer Road. That's just normal Trainer Road on Snapchat. Um, a bunch of you have been following us there, sending us questions, and it's pretty cool. We can answer your questions really quickly and easily there. Um, you'll also see some strange circumstances, whether we're at the office or at lunch or on a bicycle, wherever it might be, training on the trainer, we'll be answering your questions. So you can ask them there. It's pretty cool stuff. You can find this podcast on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher. Uh, You can also find it really on any podcast engine that you're using to listen to your podcasts. Uh, You can find us and rate us on all of those. So we like five-star ratings. They're pretty sweet. Uh, We're into those. So um, yeah, uh, before we kick off, there's one thing we wanted to share because we're looking to add some people to the Road team, right, Nate?
1: Yep. So right now we have a job posting for senior software engineers. These are uh, we're looking for experienced C# engineers. We allow remote work. Um, about a third, maybe about half, our company are remote workers, and we're looking for remote workers in North America. Um, so, if you are interested, and you're, or if you know somebody, go to www.trainero.com/jobs. Um, I know this podcast will be archived for a while. We're looking to hire actually a bunch of engineers this year, uh, double our engineering team so if there's a if you're an engineer, you should know what an RSS feed is and there will be an RSS feed on that jobs posting. Just subscribe to that and once we post something new, you'll be notified right away if you miss this round. Um, the application process is kind of rigorous, but we do that on purpose because we really want really high quality engineers and you'd get to as a perk you get to work with Jonathan, Chad, and I every single day and hear us argue and slack and make fun of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Very fun. <laughs> But anyways, yeah, it's great. Uh, we've done it a few times where we've hired users. And I love hiring users who are software engineers because they just get it right away. And they, uh, you know, some t- if, you, if you're if you not into cycling, you might make a silly mistake. But if you're a user, you know, and then plus you'd have your input, like how you, we totally listen to all the employees and your input about how we should build the software will be put into the which is fun.
0: Yeah, it's pretty massive, and and one thing I wanted to clarify when Nate says that half the company is remote, that doesn't mean that we like outsource something to to some obscure country where we can get cheap labor. It's <laughs> that's not the intent at all. We we just need the best employees, and all the best employees may not be right around us here in Reno. So we we cast a wide net to find the best ones. Is that accurate, Nate?
1: Yeah, it's it's silly to be like, oh, I'm just gonna hire from a pool of like 250,000 people. What well, can I I can hire from a pool of like 330 million get some of the best engineers and there's some benefits to working remote too. As long as you're professional about it, like it's easier to be quiet. You can turn off slack or that kind of thing and just kind of put your nose down. Um, but we also offer relocation. If anyone wants to move to Reno and go on mountain bike rides with us, you can, uh, what we offer that too.
0: Yeah. Like last night, Nate and I went up to North star North star. For those that don't know, it's a, it's a skiers or up here. North star at Tahoe. Um, it's about 45 minutes from our office and it's a big ski resort in the winter. The Ritz Carlton hotel is there. It's like really luxurious, super nice, good place to be a bunch of restaurants and shopping. It's a cool place. And they also have really fun mountain bike races throughout the summer. Um, Nate, it was your second mountain bike race. Is that
1: right? Yep. Second one. How did it go? Uh, I'm still on my fat bike. So I looked at my Strava results. Overall, I mean, not overall, but I got second in my age group. There were at least three people. I'm not really sure how big my age group was. <laughs> I think it was that big. But uh, on the uphills, definitely, I was good. And once I get a, a lighter bike with lower rolling resistance, I think that'll be even better. On the downhills, Jonathan, I looked at one segment. It was a long downhill. And so, Jonathan, you got second overall. Um, you put ten minutes on me on a downhill. And part of, yeah, part of this, part of it was, uh, I know And in uphills, on um, some of the segments you put like 20 seconds on me, you know, like that's right. bad, but not 10 minutes. I even had to right. walk my bike a little bit because it just got too gnarly. The fat bike's weakness is rock gardens. Cause I will get this reverb going. Well, Jonathan see me actually, well, he's heard me crash <laughs> this way. I've
0: heard it. <laughs> it's terrifying. I just start,
1: you know, how like monster trucks, when they go over, uh, cars and they'll start bouncing back and forth. That's what my bike will do, uh, and there's no. It uh, sounds like rebound somebody's. Dampening. It
0: sounds. It sounds like somebody's like in a truck, and a, like and got just a loose tool chest in the back, and it's just <laughs> bouncing over bumps. <laughs> it's no fun. It's, it's like terrifying.
1: it's like a it's like bowl, riding a bowl. So, yeah. Anyways, that's how it went. It was really 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 fun though. So that was good. My fitness is getting better, getting lighter. Uh, so I'm gonna do what there's five more this year, and I think I'm gonna do all five in the next month.
0: Yeah. They're super fun. Or really former, cool races. Yeah. And it's at, uh, it's about 7,000 feet elevation. Um, so pretty high up too, which uh, makes it nice and fun and nice and painful. But the for those that don't know too, North Star, if you're ever looking for like a, a mountain bike vacation spot, it's a really good one to do. Or even just like a summer vacation spot. You've got hiking trails, um, really good golf. You've got all that stuff there. And Northstar isn't sponsoring this. I just realized it sounds like an ad. We don't have sponsors in our podcast. But um, it's a really cool place to go. They have like the best uh, downhill mountain biking, like with the, you just ride the lifts up and come down. They have like the best downhill mountain biking in all of California, the West Coast, pretty much the U.S. So.
1: And you're right by really Tahoe. Good. You just go yep. over one yeah. summit and you're at Tahoe
0: also right by trainer road. And that's cool. Too. Yeah. And
1: they had, uh, what nationals road race was there.
0: They did yep. last year. They had the nationals road race and it finished up at the village. Like they did, I think it was 114 miles as the road race. And they had this big long loop that they did out in a flat Valley. And it was like 30 mile an hour winds over a hundred degrees, super hot. And then they climbed back up just a absolutely brutal race, yeah. but, and, um, really cool
1: area. It's. Iron Man Lake Tahoe was there too when it was when it was going on, it went right past there. So if you do go there, it's kinda cool as you can stay in a, like a condo or a little house. You can mountain bike, hike, trail run, eat a bunch of good food, go over to Tahoe, stand up paddle board, you know, go to the casinos. You can have a, a whole bunch of fun right in that area. Anyways. Super And good. and North Star commercial.
0: Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And North Star commercial tie back back to the job posting. Now you should really want to move to Reno so, and become a software engineer for us. So if you want, you can even (laughs) move here too. So, (laughs) um, all right, let's, let's get right into it. Um, let's go into Jen's, uh, question. He says, Hey, trainer road, good podcast. Having lost over 22 kilograms. That's 48 pounds for us here. Stateside, um, due to cycling. I've measured my body fat, body water, bone mass, and muscle mass using a weight scale, like a Tanita but not the exact one. He says, my question is, what is a good number for the four measuring points listed above if you want to be a good road racer? So once again, those were his body fat, water, bone mass, and muscle mass. He says, I know that I still need improving as I'm about 15.8% body fat, but especially the muscle mass figures is a question I need to an- need an answer to. Best regards, the recreational but competitive cyclist, Jens.
2: So, Jens, yeah, I have a feeling we're all going to have a fair amount to contribute on this. Um, it, there's not really a right or wrong answer. You kind of have to determine what's, uh, you know, what makes you the best type of racer, depending on, you know, whether you're a crit rider who can carry a little extra mass but needs the extra punch, or a, a climber who needs to be as light as possible with, you know, high strength to weight ratio. So, so as far as your body weight and your body fat, that's that's very subjective. Um, as far as the total body water, uh, that's typically the leaner you are, the the greater that that becomes. So I've seen. Um, ultra lean athletes are up to, I think it's like 70% of their total body mass is, is water. Um, and then bone mass, you know, for, for women, I think it's like four to six pounds. Men is like six to eight pounds. So you can just look up figures on that. Our concern here in terms of performance is going to be your weight, um, relative to your, to your power output. And if, if I can use myself as an example, um we started this whole weight loss thing and even before our initial DEXA scan, I began at 191 pounds. Threshold was right around 350. Lost a bunch of weight, down to 168. I've I've come up a bit. But either way, I lost a little over 30 pounds. But in the process, I cost myself about 30 watts. Threshold fell to about 320, and my racing reflected that. So I I kind of flew in the face of that balance, you know, the weight came off, but the power went with it. So you, so you have to find out how you have to strike a better balance than I did. You have to determine at what rate can you lose weight? How much weight can you lose? How does that affect your power over the course of it? What's more important over the course of that? What's up? Nate?
1: Yeah. I was going to say that that's the, um, Did I interrupt you, Chad.
2: No, no, that's fine. I, I was I was
1: just doing hand singles so Jonathan. And I could <laughs> talk next what <laughs> so Chad's like, what's up? Um, <laughs> It's all about power to weight ratio, right? So to really reiterate what Chad said is it's how fast you can go and be as light as you can. Normally body fat, uh, for most people, you can lose body fat and you're not going to perfect your performance um, too much. Uh, I don't really think at all. It's really the muscle if you lose a bunch of that. But I don't think there's a a target weight you should be or a target muscle mass. We know riders, we're just talking about... uh, our local writer Justin Thomas, he's six one six two one thirty, super duper skinny and yeah. super duper fast. Then there's bigger guys. I
0: believe, I believe he actually harbors a tapeworm and yeah. he's okay <laughs> with it. Like he doesn't want to get it out. He's okay with it.
1: It's just sick. he's rail thin. Yeah. And you can get guys too at the same uh, watts per kilo and just as fast as Justin, who weigh a lot more. uh it, So it's it's really going to be individual. But you can lose. I mean. Besides losing body fat, you're, you're probably okay. Chad, when you lost weight, did you lose muscle too? Did you lose strength or did you use mostly body fat? You didn't have 30 pounds of fat to lose.
2: Yeah. So in the early stages, I guarantee I lost some muscle, but that was prior to the DEXA scans. So I can't say how much, but uh, I can say that the power dropped pretty precipitously. So the fact that I lost so much power tells me I absolutely lost some muscle in the process. Um, as I started paying closer attention to it. I started to, you know, mitigate that, that muscle loss and consequently my, my power started to come back up. So now it's just a focus on keeping my weight steady and bringing my power back up, uh, in time for the most important races of the season.
0: And Jens, you mentioned that you uh, want to be a good road racer. Um, so for me, I know that for mountain biking, and this is a theory, I don't have any type of data to back this up. And it's all just based off of perception and what I learn when I race, but for mountain biking, I come across a lot of steep climbs and like very steep climbs. They aren't necessarily too long, but certainly they're long enough to, to let your weight catch up to you in the sense that, you know, you'll slow down and then it just comes down to how much power you have to get up them. And in that case, what I have found is that I tend to perform better as a mountain biker when I'm slightly lighter. I do sacrifice some of my power. But it it works out to be a little bit better. And to give you an idea, um I think I was was I six percent body fat with a DEXA last time? I think so. Uh, no, you were like like uh, no twelve percent with a dexa, I think. So eleven percent. Eleven percent with a DEXA. So um I was eleven percent with a DEXA and then just about six percent with the calipers last time. So <clears throat> that is about right on for what I would look for, uh, as far as like body composition there, if that gives you some idea, and that that's weighing um a hundred and forty five pounds, so that's about right for me with a threshold somewhere at like right around three hundred that's about good for for mountain biking right there, but if I'm doing road racing in most cases, I would actually probably i would be okay with being a little heavier and having more power with me unless once again maybe I'm riding a very similar course profile, but Especially in criteriums and other stuff and, and, and races where I'm just going to have to be putting down a lot of power, um, crosswinds or anything else like that. I find that I actually do better in those races if I have a little more weight and power. It's not that my ratio is changing necessarily. I'm just elevating or, or, or lowering both of those values. Would you... Chad, you're nodding. I don't know if you've meant or noticed yeah. anything similar to that.
2: Typically, like if, uh, Jens talks about wanting to be good in road races and if he's talking road races with sustained climbs, you know, that's obviously going to be different than something with punchy climbs, which is I think more what Jonathan might be describing, mm-hmm. um, where the weight yep. is not as big a factor, but if they're extended climbs, then there's a, uh, I, just a little thing I've had for quite some time where Hunter Allen talked about, uh, every extra pound you carry can, can affect your time per mile, 15 to 20 seconds. So an extra 15 to 20 seconds per mile for every additional pound. And that's not, those on a, aren't, on those a aren't a hard. Yeah. On a hard climb or a sustained climb. And those aren't hard numbers. I mean, the grade of the climb is certainly going to affect things, but the fact is every extra pound you've got on your frame is, is a substantial difference in the amount of time it takes you to climb a single mile. So if you're on six or seven, eight mile climbs, that's going to be quite an impact. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So. It's it's something that, like Chad said in the beginning, you're gonna have to figure out what the ideal balance is. There isn't like a, a set riders are best at X percent body fat. Um, but I think the one thing that I've learned in 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 trying to lean down and and find I guess my limits there is you're usually very aware of where your limit is. If you're training consistently and you're trying to lose weight, it becomes painfully aware pretty quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> a really good point. You know, point. maybe lost too much weight, so. Yep.
1: and in general uh, it's like uh for unless you're like a really high performance racer most people can lose some weight right like the majority of the mm-hmm. people listening to this podcast can probably lose some body fat and they're not mm-hmm. going to be you're like are all
0: beautiful and, and yeah. thin and wonderful we don't we aren't but saying y- anything other than that <laughs> you you know what i mean but yes <laughs> you know what i mean though
1: yep. like in general it's yep. probably not a bad idea to lose a little bit of weight and if you're too skinny. Yeah. It's just like, you know, Jonathan, you probably know, everyone's like, you look really disgusting. And that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
2: there's almost, almost everybody has got safely five pounds, you know, a couple kilograms to lose. I mean, that, that goes without saying there are a few people who can't benefit or, or can't get away with losing three, four five pounds. Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. David's question. He says, what difference does it make using a proper turbo training tire rather than a standard old tire? And for those that don't know, Turbo Trainer—that's just a trainer. It's just over in the UK; they call them turbos. Um, it says, "How critical is it, or does it not make a noticeable difference?"
1: Yeah. So I'll take this one. Uh, turbo tire—that's like a—it's a little stickier and harder compound, so that you don't melt your tire. Um, I think on anything but a compu trainer, it's not going to be a huge deal. Um, the So the trainer, I say that because it actually heats up the tire and it can delaminate and it's really bad. But as long as your tire, you're not getting like slippage. If you're, uh, pedaling like out of the saddle or something, then you're fine. And if you do get slippage, you can kind of tighten it down a little bit more and just be consistent. If you're using virtual, virtual power, if you're not using virtual power, it doesn't matter. One thing that I've done in the past too is, so my race wheels will have the Continental 4,000, uh, Jeep. What is it? S2s. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 4,000 S2. Yeah. And then on my training tires, I'll put gator skins on it just because I don't want a flat while I'm training. And those gator skins are a little more durable and I'll have those on the trainer too. And I hadn't had any problems with wearing, you know, where it will wear kind of a square edge or anything like that. And what do you guys do for training? Do you train on nice tires or do you like get like a durable tire?
0: Yeah, I I don't train on my race tires that I would use if I'm racing. Usually Um, I have a a spare set of wheels, and I actually usually put something, um, it's like a gator skin. I found these Vittorias, and I'm not sure they're made out of rubber. I think they made, they're made out of rock. They're they are <laughs> terrible on the road. <laughs> they're absolutely terrifying. But on the trainer, they work just fine. They don't chunk up because uh, some tires you'll notice on a trainer, like it'll leave black residue. Yeah. Um, it, it can stain your carpet or anything else like that, and these ones don't. And I those tires were on closeout for like $8 a piece on competitive cyclists and I bought like 10 of them just because I figured I could keep them around and put them on whatever bike. Um, so I've been using those for a long time and they work just fine. Um, but I keep it on a separate wheel to make it easier too. Cause one thing, those, the trainer specific tires, you're going to need some serious skill on putting on a tire. Some of them are so <laughs> stiff. Yeah. Um, you have to use something like Pedro's tire levers. They look really weird. They're either pink or yellow but they work super good and they're really cheap and they aren't going to break on you and they don't have metal. Like I don't understand why people would use a metal tire lever on on a rim. It's just going to tear it up. So you have to use a Pedro's tire lever and chances are you have to use two of them. They're, they're really hard to get on. So I use a hard tire, crappy tire, but it's one that works for the trainer.
2: Yeah. And then <clears throat> for me indoors, I ride the kicker, so I don't use a tire at all. But when it comes to outdoors, I've made the shift to tubeless tires for training. Um, whether or not I'll start racing on them remains to be seen. I, I can see it happening. I just don't have a very wide selection of tubeless tires. Um, as far as the durability of the tubeless tires, uh, there's not a whole lot to choose from in, tu- in terms of tubeless tires, at least not the shop I go to. So I haven't even been very selective with uh, the durability of the tire so much the fact that it's tubeless. And I think uh, twenty probably 26 millimeters, so a little fatter too. But, uh, and uh, knock on wood, but I've yet to have a flat or any sort of, uh, anything that kept me from, from riding continuously over the course of some pretty long rides.
1: Do you like the, uh, the ride feel of those 26 tires so far?
2: Very much. Very much. Yeah. I think I should do that. That sounds nice.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of twenty sixes. it's is like the minimal size that I use, mm-hmm. um, much and, and also so this depends on the tire because you're, you're trying to break down a couple of things. Like you want traction for where the tire is touching the road. You want that to be reliable, nice and sticky. Obviously you don't want rolling re- that to come at the cost of rolling resistance, but you want that. But then the lateral stability of the tire is something to keep in mind. And that's why running a standard tire without a tube, but then just like getting a sealant or a, a tubeless kit to make your rims compatible and just putting sealant in isn't a great idea because tubeless tires are made with the intention, that's why they're generally a little heavier than a normal clincher tire. And the reason is because they're made to be a little more stiff laterally. So you don't get your tire rolling off your rim, so to speak, when you're leaning into a turn, um, usually the tube and the tire, that interface that they have, that gives a lot of strength to the whole structure. But in this case, since you don't have that, there's less friction there and the tire can roll a little bit easier. So if the tire is designed right, that means you have a really comfortable and stable ride and you have to hit your tire pressure right. <clears throat> but if not, it can be a little shaky. And you're right, Chad, like right now it's, I mean, it's, it's growing, but it's frustrating because there's a lack of tubeless options, comparatively speaking, in the road market. I mean, the Schwalbe one is a really popular one, mm-hmm. um, but that thing wears down crazy fast, like really fast. Um, and it yeah, also using, isn't great on rolling resistance. I'm using
2: some, some bond traggers that, that were actually a really affordable price comparatively. And uh, they've held up really well so far. So I'm pretty impressed with those. But yeah, you're yeah, right. There's I, just not that many out there.
0: Yeah. I know um, the The one good part about the Schwalbe is they feel like you have Velcro, like you will never let go. They have incredible <laughs> feeling traction. So in criteriums and stuff like that, it's money for that type of stuff. And then I know Specialized, their mountain bike tubeless tires are awesome. Um, every Maxis, all those companies, they make great tires, but um, for mountain biking, but they, just this year, I, I realized I was actually writing a post on tires and updating it. And uh, I saw they have a lot of tubeless options now. So they used to just have the Rube tire, which is more like a endurance tire. It was a little heavier, a little thicker. Now they have their S-Works turbo in a tubeless. They have a bunch of different tubeless tires. So, And that S-Works turbo is a really good tire. So I assume they've done their homework and have a good tubeless version. So... Um, so yeah, that's what I would say there. One quick pro tip you have on, on the trainer tires, Let take your tires out of the packaging when you get them. Let them sit out so they don't have any creases in them and they, they aren't that stiff. Let them sit in the sun or even put them in the oven at a very low temperature before you put them on. You don't want to have them so hot that you can't touch them and do not burn your house down. But just get them soft because that's going to play into your advantage big time before you put them on. So. Do I, Nate? You're looking at me horrible. like I'm crazy right now.
1: It's <laughs> gonna smell horrible, and I was gonna say, uh, heat them, don't cook them. Jonathan's opinions do not reflect Trainer Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Someone's gonna yeah. sue us. <laughs> at least in America.
0: Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So uh, don't do that. Ignore that. Uh, we'll edit that out in post. Probably not. <laughs> but um, Nick, he says, "Hey guys, love the podcast and Trainer Road." Some specifics, I use Trainer road for almost all of my workouts, but recently took one of my long Saturday rides outside for the first time in a couple months. I was finding it difficult to not elevate my power when I hit steep-ish hills, partly because I have uh, trouble holding back. As Ricky Bobby would say, I want to go fast. That's awesome, by the way. Good <laughs> good reference there. Um, but I also think my size may be making it difficult. At 90-ish kilograms, that's so about 200 pounds and an FTP around 3.7 watts per kilogram with a hilly race coming up, any advice you could give on ways to make sure my effort level is even would be appreciated. My question is about a bike, or about an Ironman bike output. I know it is better to have a more consistent and even power profile for the race, but do you have any tips on how to accomplish this on a hilly course?
1: Yeah, we just talked about this last night, Jonathan. Um, we did. Yeah, because the Ironman uh, Lake Tahoe went by North Star in it there's a really steep climb up to the Hyatt resort there. And, uh, so Ironman, you know, five to six hours, if you're pretty fast. And, uh, on my second lap there, just on the training loop, I was at 65 RPM, 330 Watts. And, uh, I was at a compact and a 28. And so like, it was so steep that I couldn't, even with the gearing, I just couldn't put out less power. I think I was trying to aim for like 220 watts for the whole Ironman course and if you're putting out 330, it's going to cook you. So the the only things you can do is uh you know, get a compact. I think now the new Dura-Ace will go to 30. That was just announced a couple of days ago. I think yeah, there's a SRAM choice. one that goes to or to uh 32 for road, I you believe, can go to right? 36. For road? 36 even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So especially for an Ironman, you might think, oh, I'm a wuss because of that. But no, it's all about even power output. Um, And then the other one is just to lose weight Uh, or gain, you know, have a higher FTP. That's that's pretty much all you can do. But the easiest one is to get the uh, different cassette or compact. And if you have those those bigger uh, cassettes in the rear, sometimes you'll need to get a different rear derailleur, too, because, uh, you know, like 36 won't fit on a standard Ultegra derailleur or something like that. (laughs)
0: SRAM calls it their Wi fly um, rear derailleurs, and that's W-I hyphen F-L-I. And essentially it's just wide range. So that usually means that it has a longer cage, and uh, it also has the the actual arm of the derailleur might be a little longer, so then that way it can swing down all the way to those big gears. Um, Also, one thing with that, I mean, I've seen some people running this. I don't know what the gear ratios are like, but you can run something like I mean, technically, you'd be able to run a SRAM Eagle cassette. That's their new one by twelve, and you could run their Eagle derailleur with uh with a smaller front ring, or even just a normal front ring in front, because it's got like a massive range. It's like over five hundred percent gearing um, with that new twelve speed. It's about the size of a dinner plate in the
1: back. On a road but, bike, <clears throat> on a like a trutti bike, would you need a one by up front?
0: Yep. Yeah. So they, um, Jordan Rapp, in fact, ran the one by, the SRAM one by stuff last year, which is pretty cool to see. Um, Not on every course, on certain courses he wouldn't. So depending on how steep and consistent or sustained your climbs are, in this case, Nick, um, you know, take that into consideration. But if it's rolling hills, then it's possible that you might be able to keep your momentum enough and you're not going to be getting bogged down completely. Yeah, um, he talks. So maybe that can
2: work. <clears throat> Nick talks about steep ish Hills. So I'm going to assume that his gearing is already adequate, in which case he's just talking about how to pace it. And, and really Nick it's, you say you want to go fast. It's about reining it in and learning, uh, moderation or control. Cause the, the last thing you want to do is burn yourself up on climbs when you're out there for 112 miles. So, and I'm sure Nate can, can back this up, but this is never a kill the hill sort of approach. It really doesn't matter. Um, how hard you can hit the hills, hitting them that hard is not going to benefit you over the course of that. I'll ride that long and it's certainly not going to benefit you when it comes time to hop off the bike and run. Yeah, this is a huge mental thing for, uh,
1: like half or Ironman. If, if you're on a hill and you have a power meter and you have a goal wattage and you're getting passed on the hill, which will usually happen if you have a power meter, cause everyone else just, you know, rides off field and they want to go hard up a hill. Just know you're doing the right thing and you'll pass them probably pass them on the run later on. It, it's happened time and time again on me, or even like, you know, this happens the first, uh, so vi- like vine man's a good example. Um, it starts off with kind of rolling hills and then it has a bunch of flat section after that. I'd see people, you know, shoot by me on all the uphills. And then when it was flat, I'd keep that same, whatever, 220, 230 power output. And, uh, I'd pass them again. And then on a hill they'd pass me back. But by the end of it, I would never see them again because they're probably cooked and they weren't giving that even power output. So it's all about going as fast as you can.
2: And if yeah, if I thought you were out of gears, if not, it's just mental. Just go slower. Like, yeah. And Nick, like, it, yeah, it's important to keep in mind that, that, that a ride this long is not going to be done that intensely. It's about lasting. It's not about going fast. I mean, the fast is a very relative term. Um, and when it comes to, um, Ironman bike splits, I mean, it's a wide range. And if we get to it in this podcast or maybe a, a later podcast, there's, Um, in more detail, there, there's a particular range of, you know, intensity factor and the percentage of thresholds that you're going to maintain over a four and a half to, you know, six, seven hour ride. Um, and, and it ranges all the way from like 0.6, all the way up to 0.83. So we're talking about, you know, roughly 60% of your threshold for that, for that entire period up to the really fast guys who are pushing into the very low eighties. So either way, even at the very high end of things, these guys are working at 80% of their potential at the lower end of of things, 60%. So you need to figure out where you fall within that range. And then even on the Hills, you're never going to fly too far outside of those confines.
0: Mm. Yeah. The run comes after (laughs) it's a marathon.
1: (laughs) It's a marathon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, literally. Um, cool. So hopefully that gives you the information, Nick, and I actually have to redact my recommendation for Eagle on a road bike. You don't have a 12-speed road shifter yet, so never mind. You can't use it. Um, You'd have a weird flat bar shifter and somehow rig that up to your tri-bike. I guess you probably could, but that would be weird. So soon enough, I'm sure they'll bring that over, that 12-speed over to road. It's just a a matter of time. So, Um, Cool. Gerard, his question. And this one's related to the next one. So, Chad, you guide me and and just let me know when you want to comment on one thing or just move into the next. Sure. so he says. Uh, he says, first of all, I'd like to thank Trainer Road and uh, you guys for making me like cycling. Awesome, we made him like cycling. That's cool. Um, <clears throat> that's good stuff. I started training last November, and thanks to you, my FTP has gone from one thirty to one ninety since then. Six that's, stars to you, six a stars. Big
1: improvement.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, just about as many. Uh, yeah, I'm impressed with the six stars too. I don't, I don't think that's possible, but we'll take it. He says. Mm-hmm. Now my question, at the beginning, my lungs were my limiting factor on hard intervals, but my situation has changed since then. Now my legs seem to be the ones holding me back. I, I actually sympath- <coughs> Excuse me, sorry—I actually sympathize with this guy on this one. I, a lot I don't of us do. Yeah, he says, should I be ignoring the pain and heaviness and just keep pedaling harder, or is this normal? What kind of phases do you recommend to fix any current weak link? He says, I'm about to finish a crit specialty phase after doing sweet spot general build. And sustained power build. Thanks again. So, do you want me to go on to the next one, Chad, or do you want to take?
2: Yeah, that these one these there? two are really tightly linked. So, go ahead and read the next one.
0: Cool. And Chris says, uh, "I'm a religious Ask a Cycling Coach podcast listener and enjoy not only the information provided, but also the sense of camaraderie and banter that happens during the episodes." Five star worthiness. Sweet. See, these people are. Th- these are both very good people. I, yeah. I think they're wonderful <laughs> people. <laughs> he says. Uh, my question, I'm a 40-plus competitive recreational rider who has been using trainer roads since 2012 for winter training. I had my highest FTP, and FTP test in 2012 and had a great year. Unfortunately, the next winter, I may have overcooked my training. Since then, my legs tend to fatigue much quicker than my cardiovascular system, and it limits my ability to ride hard for extended periods of time. I thought if I took some time off, I would have bounced back, but the issue remains to this day. I've also noticed that my FTP tests have dropped by a significant amount over time. Could I still be affected by overtraining? If so, what is the protocol to recover from such a long period of muscular or nervous system fatigue? If not fatigue, what could be the cause of the legs giving out before the cardiovascular system? Is it my approach to training, or has has cycling fast passed me by? Thank you for your time and effort in responding to my question. Keep the Good work. Go ahead, Chad. Sorry about that.
2: Uh, so Gerard and chris are are, are uh, I, I in my opinion they 're on the same page gerard 's just at a far earlier stage than than Chris. I think Chris has pushed it too far, and he 's to a, a point of you know, you know we, we overreach and then we recover and we get stronger. You, you push that overreach too far it becomes non functional overreaching where you start to break down a bit, but you can still recover it. I think that's kind of what Gerard's up against. He just needs a little more rest. How, how he finds that it can come in a number of ways. Maybe his recovery weeks need to be longer. Maybe he needs more than one day in between his two hardest weekday workouts. Maybe his Sunday ride is too long and he comes into... Monday rest day, tired, Tuesday, still tired. And it's kind of a downward from there. In any case, he needs to integrate probably a little more recovery, be a little more responsive to how his body's feeling before he hits those hard workouts again. Um, Chris, I think farther down that line, he's to the point where he can recover for long periods of time and maybe he's still not bouncing back. And I've seen cases of you know, a true overreaching or I'm sorry, overtraining where athletes have, have it's sabotaged an entire season. I'm talking like six, eight, nine months of training uh, down the tubes. They've, they've, they spend better part of a year off the bike, trying to bounce back from this sort of thing. So you can really push it to a point where it's, it's very, very damaging, super hard to bounce back from not saying that's where Chris is, but the fact is you might need, um, a, a more dramatic downturn than a lot of athletes come up against. Um, and then, you know, outside of the overreaching overtraining thing could be a question of leg strength. And there's a lot of ways to address that, but, uh, I don't, I, I think more times than not, it's not that people don't have the strength. I think they're just too fatigued to actually muster the strength. They do have.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to say, Chad is a lot of times I feel like my legs are the ones holding me back on a workout rather than my lungs. Um, mm-hmm. and in that case, I don't think I would just be like, oh, I need to, you know, I'm over overreaching at the moment
2: yeah, for sure. For sure. And if that's the case, the last thing you want to do is rest more. Your body needs more, more stress. It it needs to be challenged further. So in that case, I mean, you do things, the shorter, harder stuff, typically. I mean, that can be 30 second, all out sprints, you know, a handful of those in a workout. And then maybe you even complete it with a long part of your ride. I mean, you can do this both indoors and outdoors, um, whereas outdoors, um, you you would do these at the beginning of, you know, for instance, I'm going on a long ride on Sunday. I'll probably start off with three or four hard sprints, separate them by five or ten minutes, and then that'll be all the intensity I'll encounter for the day. The rest of it's just going to be long distance type work. Um, and then there's VO2 max. There's a there's a big carryover between hard by doing hard two and three minute efforts that that favors. Uh, not, not obvious strength gains, but improvements in, in leg strength. You're, you're recruiting different types of fibers. It's not all slow twitch. It's kind of those intermediate guys. Um, but, uh, all that aside, I am, I'm not entirely sure that's, that's what's going on here.
0: I kind of look at it. Um, for those that play golf, uh, if you play golf, you know that it's sometimes off the tee, you're awesome and you're, you're playing well. And then you, you your biggest fear is you get to the green because your short game is just terrible. And then what happens is you seesaw back and forth, right? You start paying more attention to one and then the other one falls off. And pro golfers, they're going through the same thing. They're always trying to strike that balance. And those good days happen when you're hitting on both of them. Um, I noticed that same thing um, last night. I actually kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a nirvana because it was quite painful, but in the bike race, it was the first time in a while that I felt that my legs were not the limiting factor. Um, and I didn't feel that my lungs were a limiting factor. I was just a giant limited factor the whole night. So, (laughs) but I think that that you're not alone in feeling that and it's pretty common. And like Chad said, the way that at least I've addressed it is in the same manner of just making sure that my training is focused on, on, on addressing those specific limiters in that respect. Yeah. And
2: if I, if I can mention one more thing before Nate jumps in here, um, I, I wanted to mention that I think Arthur Liddyard had probably the best feel for this. And you know, he hired high, high lo- <clears throat> excuse me, he coached high-level runners. And, and he had kind of a three-pronged approach to, to this, I think more in Chris's case than Gerard's, but this sort of... Uh, uh, occurrence. And he, he built massive aerobic bases with his athletes. So first and foremost, if you're doing a lot of intensity, but you're basing it on, you know, maybe you're a new rider, new to structured training, either way, you haven't had a lot of intensity in your uh, training recipe in the past, that after time can start to deteriorate. So, you know, it might be a return to more aerobic base, uh, with less intensity probably. Um, and then he, he pushed the whole feeling based training. You know, some days you feel up to it, some days you don't. And on the days you don't, A lot of times you can push through that initial fatigue and you have a great workout, but a lot of days you're just too tired to make it effective. And then you come back and you're still not rested when you try the next workout. And again, it's that downward spiral. And then he also. Um, really focus on each individual athlete's recovery response. And that's that's probably the key here with you guys is you have to determine when am I actually recovered? When can I heap on more stress and bounce back from it and continue to improve? As opposed to my training schedule is this, I'm going to abide by it regardless of how I feel and, and regardless of how I recover because that's what's on the page and that's what I feel I need to follow. That is not always the case. So you have to determine what works for you and, and, you know, a, a affect your training program or your training plan accordingly. Um, I have two, well, three things to say. First, Jonathan, your other non-limiting factor
1: is fear. Last night in the race, I was going down this steep <laughs> hill on my bike going 20. And I was like, Oh, I'm going really fast here. It's like a fire road, but it had these huge rocks. And I hear someone scream on your left. He probably went down. Did you look up? I think you're going 40 down that thing. Yeah, it was still over like forty. A, yeah. yeah. over 40. And he had a 3 minute lead. This is uh and they were like giant rocks. It wasn't like a smooth fire road like uh yeah. totally enough to buck me off at 20 if I were to hit one wrong. Jonathan didn't yeah. care. He's just going down. <laughs> I You know what I thought I thought of your unborn son, Simon. And <laughs> <laughs> which by the how way, how he'll never meet, meet his father. Hell. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, for <laughs> listeners that don't know, our um, my wife Sarah and I are our due date is uh, next Saturday. But yeah, so I, but Nate, now I feel like a bad would be father because I wasn't thinking of him at that point yeah, at all. You're gonna so. get so
1: much fatter and slower when your baby comes. You know, you know what happens? It's I won't su- just despite you. Yeah. This is scientifically true. You hold a newborn, and uh, for men, and it lowers your testosterone. Seriously. Really? Jonathan's going to be like, I can marginal gains, wife, sorry. <laughs> I, I, can't. <laughs> I can't touch the child. Yeah.
0: I can't touch him. It'll, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. heard that there's ways to, to change that balance. So I think that, uh, it probably would be illegal, but just the same.
1: Yeah. I, I want to see <laughs> J- Jonathan juggle work, a new baby. And if anyone could do it, it'd be you, Jonathan and mountain bike racing and stay at, you know, top levels in all three at once. That's going to be interesting. Okay. So back to the legs. Um, yeah, Chad, actually, I used to have this problem a lot before I started your first Trainer classes back in like 2007, I think. And mm-hmm. uh, what really helped me was you were the first person uh, to do low cadence drills with me. So I normally ride around 90 or 100, actually around 100 RPM. And I would do a lot of cadence drills at 60, especially uh, sweet spot work at 60 and, uh, and some threshold, not really VO2 max. And I found that that kind of I think strengthen my legs, and it it shifted the focus more to my lungs when I was on uh, uh, when I was doing really hard workouts. Again, this is n equals one. I have no scientific backing
2: of yeah, this, well, the, so don't. Those drills you know. also help you learn, especially on a trainer, how to how to dole out really even power around the pedal stroke because you're going so slowly, you can't have those dead spots. They can't be as as obvious as they would be, or, or masked by a quicker spin. So you learn to ride maybe not so herky jerky and that you're not just frying your quads, relaxing, frying your quads, relaxing. You actually learn to kind of distribute that load a little more evenly, or at least to maintain Mm -hmm. steady muscular stress, which is going to affect your strength. Um,
1: And then my second comment is going to be about uh, weightlifting. And this is N equals one, and I have no science to back it up. And people will there, there's such a huge debate Conscious. in this, but...
0: Some guy well, right now, some big dangerous. muscle-headed dude is like stoked and fist-pumping <clears> in his car, <throat> and some tapeworm skinny cyclist guy is getting pissed.
1: <laughs> no, this, this is another thing that's helped me with uh, leg strain so that I don't feel so much in my legs. I haven't done it this year. We just talked about maybe doing it in the off-season. I will do this in the off-season, but it's a little different than normal weightlifting, is I I did this before and I had good success with it, is I would do uh, 135 squat 135, but I would try to get up to like 35 reps in a row. And I might even drop it to down to like 95 and try to get 50 reps. So at that time, 50 reps is going to be like, I- I'm not really sure three or four minutes. It's, it's, you know, it's exactly aerobic and, in
2: nature. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly the point. I'm actually going back and forth with Bill Black on the physiology forum right now, talking about something that totally r- relates to this. And he talked about, so we're trying to increase central stress, right? Your, your heart and your lungs. And 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 as far as weight training, that typically doesn't affect it. But when you do something like Nate's describing, and Bill said this very thing, he would do like a moderate weight, and I think uh, three minutes for reps as fast as he could. I couldn't remember quite what, but the fact was, it was this huge aerobic demand had this big effect on his heart and lungs, and basically his his general work capacity. And then he, you know, this is this is during general training, and then over time he would adapt that to be more specific to cycling. But the fact was, he he broadened his his uh more general base of fitness and then honed it more towards cycling o- over time. But initially it was weight training and it was high rep, low weight stuff. And and I don't mean low weight, I mean moderate weight, like Nate's describing right here, but you do that. And the effect it has on your cardiovascular system, is pretty obvious. I mean, it, it cripples you damn near. Yeah. All the um, studies I've seen with weightlifting
1: with like squats and stuff have been, I think six to maybe 12 reps and that's it. And it's, it's kind of a different thing than what, Chad and I just described,
2: um, yeah, see, it, uh, it, it's that yeah, distinction between, between addressing, you know, raw strength gains. And in this case, I think it's more of a, a cardiovascular gains it's, it's achieved via weight training. Yeah. So it gets a little, get a little, gets a little muddy there. But the fact is, um, we're, we're training heart and lungs when you do something like Nate's describing. Yeah. It feels like a VO2 max workout or
1: interval by the end. It's, it's extremely hard. And, uh, so that it could is. be something, but I wouldn't, uh, I think... So right now this is, this is my N equals one. And when I say N equals one means like the sample size is one in a study. And if a sample size is one, like we should just ignore it. But what I'm going to do is not pick this back up until the fall because I'm still improving and I don't want to throw a wrench in the middle of my season, especially with these, uh, mountain bike races coming up. And like Chad said, get general in the fall and then over the winter, uh, and springtime kind of hone that fitness back to be more cycling specific
0: uh let's go to red running bear his question that's an instagram name by the way i maybe his real name too could be but, his real name yeah yep could be um he says today was my 200th ride on ride with train and road if we were uh there we go nice claps Nate if we were some type of radio show we would have had that crowd cheering clap yeah, yeah. drop right there <laughs> <laughs> um someday. so excited to be a part yeah someday yeah we can aspire for that we can shoot for that uh so excited to be a part of this community since 2014 Starting as a non-cyclist and non-triathlete, just a runner, my FTP has gone from 150 to 245. Holy Whoa. cow.
1: That's
0: awesome. It says all of my indoor training has been on a Jet Black Fluid, uh, Jet Fluid Pro, I think, or Jet, no, Jet Black Fluid Trainer. Gotcha. Yeah. And uses virtual power with a handful on a friend's kicker. So for the second season, I've taken out my age group for the overall season at state uh, levels of triathlon, which is super exciting. And I put a lot of that success down to consistent training with TrainerRoad. My question, though, is a few of my friends who use the Kicker or have power meters are constantly telling me my FTP isn't accurate. How much of a discrepancy is there between virtual power and power meters? Should I just ignore their comments and keep being awesome? You should keep being awesome. Uh, he yep. says, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving listening to the podcast. It's great to hear all the questions that come in and be able to have a sense of shared experience with other cyclists around the world. Keep up the great work, guys. Five stars.
1: Yeah, so virtual power is not going to be uh so it's we call it what precise but not accurate. Or precise means you get the same uh you get the same readings every time. So if you go from you know if you gain 50 watts, then you gain 50 watts, but your overall 250 could be 300, could be 200. But we just—it's—it's it's a very inexpensive way to use a power meter, and you really can't use it to compare it to other people. If your setup's the same every time, same tire pressure, same uh, uh, how tight you tighten down press your trainer, and the same tire, yeah, how, how tight you press it on, it should be precise, consistent from time to time. So, I mean, if you're if you won your age group, <laughs> I'd just be talking smack the other way. It doesn't really matter what your FTP was then. Again, <laughs> yeah. if you want a power meter, do that. I personally find my power meter, my cork and my kicker have about a 20 watt difference where my, uh, power meter reads 20 Watts lower than my kicker. Um, but I don't like throw the kicker out. I use, we have a thing called power match so that they, they get in there. I don't say, oh, my kicker is useless. Cause I, that is still always 20 uh, Watts. I wouldn't really, yeah, it doesn't really matter. It's just like kind of on the podcast, you've heard us talk about DEXA. So DEXA is that gold standard in how uh, you measure body fat, but we also use fat calipers, so TANITA, and we found that the fat calipers are always a percentage lower than DEXA, but it's always kind About of around half. the same amount. Yeah. yeah, around, well, less than half, or more than, less than half for me. Um, mm-hmm. But if we were to say, oh, you, you know, because it's not the exact same as DEXA, we can't use it. So right. if, that, if that makes, am, I, am I making sense? I'm kind of rambling.
0: No, no, I, I think it's just whatever tool you're using, just use that and, yeah. and know that the, the, the data that you get from that may not relate to data that's collected with a different instrument.
1: Oh. Let me go into my uh, weightlifting analogy. So let's say you go to the gym, and I've experienced it at gyms. Let's say all the weights are 10 pounds too heavy, right? And you, but your bench press goes up from like 150 pounds to 170 pounds. Well, you've still gained 20, but you can't then say, Chad, you know, I benched 170, so I'm stronger than you. You can't compare it to other people. It's just being this consistently the same as you work out. Hope
2: that, that yeah, exactly. So, so you're So you're looking at two things, right? You want to improve performance, which you've clearly done, and you want to raise your FTP, which you're doing, regardless of what your FTP actually is. So I, I think this is just a question of jealousy, and you should, in fact, keep on being awesome because you're doing what everybody <laughs> hopes to do. You're, you're, you're winning your age group. You're improving as an athlete. Your performance is going up. Uh, I would knock it.
0: I think, Nate, you just gave me a business idea. I'm going to open a gym and just make every weight be lighter than it actually. Just say that it's 200 pounds, even though it's like 170. And I'm totally. just going to be building egos more than muscle. It'll be great.
1: Dude, I noticed that. So we have those certified uh, Rogue Fitness weights here. and They're like to the five grams or something. Then I go to the gym, and I can't bench as much at the same weight. Like The gym weights are actually heavier than the certified ones we have here. It's crazy. Huh. Uh, they need to change it's up. Their the yeah, it's the opposite that makes you want to lift here instead of the gym <laughs> exactly I feel <laughs> yeah. like a dope when I go in there I'm like oh, I'm so strong and I put on something a lot and I you know get like three reps out and be like whoa that was really hard
0: that type of stuff has to exist I mean they even change the color of lights in, in changing rooms at, at stores to make sure you look better so yeah it's, it's all an, about and, stroke
2: it, and the ego yep. Yeah. the other thing and too that, that people sh- should power. realize
1: is uh, with power meters even different power meters measure differently like a power tap versus a cork versus stages they're all a little bit different and yep. again it's hard to compare uh
0: and and even like one you know closer though well yeah and even one of the same model to the next um even though chances are it should be very close to to similar it's still very possible to measure differently than than another um these are like I think that people might forget sometimes these are calibrated instruments that are taking, you know, gathering data and pulling that together, but it's all based off of a calibration, so or multiple calibrations. So, uh, All right, so let's go into Michelle's question. She says, hi guys, I'm after some advice from you. I'm new to cycling. My indoor Wahoo kicker trainer led me to train a road. I have improved immensely since using your training plans this year. I'm so proud and impressed with my improvements, both on cross country and road riding. Sweet, uh, and good to hear you're a mountain biker, Michelle. You're also an awesome person. So, um, after thorough reading of your website, I started with sweet spot based training, and moved to sustained power build. Four weeks into this plan, I developed patella tendonitis. I feel your pain, Michelle. Yeah, really. As do really I. Really do. Yeah. Uh, and you say I changed my seat, which affected the seat height, and of course knee angle. Unfortunately, I've been three weeks off the bike. After advice from a physiotherapist with two we, two more weeks of not riding on our recovery plan. <clears throat> so, I have a 125-kilometer ground fondo in mid-September of 2016. My original plan was to complete the sustained power build and move on to your century, century plan. And you say, I assume the century plan is training for around a 100-kilometer race. Is that right? And, yep, that's a good fit for it. Um, depending on the course profile, there might be something a little better. But um, my question to you... When I'm clear to ride again, should I pick up, should I pick up the training plan where I left off and that's she's in sustained power build or move straight to the century plan? Uh, which would be completed by the end of the date. Looking forward to your advice and I'm dying to get back on the bike. Thanks so much for your great work. I found your podcast too. And that gives me further insight into the tips of cycling. Michelle from Australia.
2: Um, so Michelle, you're going to have a What amounts to a five week layoff, which means you might be starting from uh, maybe not scratch, but you're going to be, you're going to lose quite a lot of fitness over that time. And that's a bummer, but it happens to all of us and you just got to weather it, which I'm sure you will. Um, you can actually the century plan is probably the one specialty plan that you can bypass base and build if you're in a pinch because it doesn't jump into anything that's uh, extremely high intensity Um, you're coming back from a knee injury so the vo2 max intervals kind of have me a little concerned but if you were to do sweet spot base for instance you're going to face some of those same things but they start off on the lower intensity end of things like 115 percent and the lower uh, durations i think two minutes and kind of work up so you can kind of gain a feel for whether or not that's going to um, reignite your, your knee issues. And then the other half of it is, is basically uh muscle endurance work like over unders and extended efforts that are slightly below threshold, all, all sorts of stuff that, you know, you're going to reassess your FTP and then go from there. So you actually can jump into the century plan if you want to. If however, the injury flares, you might find yourself using something more like a traditional base one or two, and just kind of building some general aerobic fitness, keeping pressure on your joints and muscles light up until your event.
0: Uh, Devin, he says, I often travel for business and do not fly with my bike. I'm in the market for a power meter and thought the flexibility of a pedal-based system would work on both of my bikes and possibly an exercise bike in a hotel gym. Have you ever attempted to install Garmin Vector or PowerTap P1 on a typical hotel gym bike? Is this approach feasible to allow me to keep working or to keep with my workout plan? Thanks.
1: So I was actually gonna do this when I went to Disneyland, but uh and I was gonna do it on spin bikes, not a hotel bike. I believe they will fit on a spin bike, right? I think they will. I don't know. There, I think yeah. the P ones will. And I would use the I would yeah, actually there's... out of those two systems, I would do the P ones because I the Garmin vectors, and I think they still have this, is you have to have them torque down to a specific tension. Is it does the new model still do that? Do you guys know?
0: It, there it's supposed to remove that, the new model. Oh okay. Um yeah, it's supposed to or we've I, I don't know if it necessarily removes it but it's supposed to be like more robust.
1: So I know that finicky. we've done a um a ride with the P1 on with a whole bunch of other power meters on a bike and it tracked really really well with mm-hmm. the other power meters. So I Here's I don't the, know though. The thing, there's there's so many different gym bikes too.
0: Yeah, there there's one thing to watch for. So um some gym bikes the crank arms aren't going to have the same threads like they aren't going to be either the thread spacing or revert, they might not have the reversed threads like normal crank arms do. In that case, you'll clearly have an issue. Um, and that would really suck to strip out the threads on your, on your pedals or or something like that, or get, imagine getting your pedals stuck in the exercise bike and having to leave your power meter. That would be terrible. So, um, that's the one thing to, to keep in mind is that if they don't thread in nice in the very beginning, if you start to notice that things aren't good, I would not put them in and, some of these spin bikes. Now, some spin bikes are going to have people switching over pedals a lot. That could be a good or bad thing. That could mean that it's, you're all good and you can switch them over, or that could mean that p- other people have tried to take pedals in and out and cross threaded things potentially. So um, just have to keep your eye on that. I, I would just be worried about uh, ruining my, my power meters yeah. there. I,
1: I would bring some old pedals if you fly a lot and just see if you can put those pedals on the bikes. And then report back to us and let us know, like with the brands and stuff. If anyone else wants to do that, because that'd be great, right? If you could buy P1s yep. and just take them and ride, you know, ride train road workouts on a whole bunch of uh, hotel gym bikes all over the world.
0: Yeah. Because the, the good thing about these two is the fact that most, most gym bikes, you can adjust the position quite a lot. The saddle's going to suck and be uncomfortable, but... Uh, you can adjust things pretty, pretty well. So because of that, you should be able to get down pretty close to whatever your, your target position or usual position would be. Um, So yeah, that, that should cover that one. Uh, Let's move on to Faney's question. I hope that's how you say it. I don't know uh, if that's correct, but that's how it's spelled and I'm going to stick with it there. So I apologize if we, if we said it wrong. Uh, you say, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of months and I'm completely blown away. Keep up the good work. As a reader of Freel, Hunter, and Coggin, I wondered why you do not have a power profile protocol test. This will enable you to see your strengths or weaknesses and or what type of rider you are. Would it help in addressing weaknesses and be able to more specifically target them?
2: Yeah, Fanny, you're right. And yes, it would, which is why we actually do have them. Um, they're not named like the rest of ours, which are t- uh, named after mountains. They're a little more, uh, uh, scientifically named. So we do have these, um, I have one. That's uh, the, the entire power profile mashed into a single workout. It takes about an hour and a half. And then I have, <clears throat> you can break it down into two different workouts. One of them measures 12 second and one minute power, <clears throat> excuse me. And then the second one uh, measures your 30 second, two minute, and five minute power. And my recommendation would be to do those a couple days apart. But in any case, um, we do have them. If you just search our workhouse catalog for power test, you'll see that 12 second, one minute, and that 30 second, two and five minute. And then if you want to do them all together, it's uh, HA and AC power profile tests. So Hunter Allen and Andy Coggan power profile tests. So just uh, search on power profile tests, and you'll find that. Well, bam. Bam.
1: That's an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Solid. And the next question is from LT. Uh, I love, I love trainer road five stars and I've been using it for just over six months in my first foray into structured training. So this is your first foray into structured training. Awesome. Good to hear LT. In preparing uh, my triathlon race day pacing strategy is, or in preparing my triathlon race day pacing strategy, could I use my trainer road online personal record power curve as a guideline? Let's cover that Um, first. Yeah, yeah, cool. Go ahead, Chad.
2: So in terms of using that power curve, it's it's like any other power curve where we actually have data for certain points on that curve. And then the rest of the data in between those points is interpolated. So if you're looking to improve something very specific, but you don't actually have data on that specific. So maybe we have eight minute power and four minute power, but you're looking to improve your six minute power. And you look between those two points and you get a rough estimate of what your six minute power is, but you might not actually have data on it. So it depends just how detailed you want to get with this. Um, In general, they can be very useful, but if you're trying to get really specific about it, you got to be really specific about your uh, data acquisition.
1: Uh, Software engineers, I would like to improve that. So we have a per second uh, PRs, both inside and outside. Come join us. Help me build this. Help us build this. I'll yes,
0: because that's one thing that I was going to point out there. Now, granted, you're mentioning triathlon, and um, I assume that it's going to be more steady state. But in certain situations, if a sprinter's looking for their for their um, to their power curve on trainer road for that, right now, since we're just pulling in, you know, indoor data and everything else, it might be tough to get an accurate indication of your five second power. Right, uh, you're not going to be all out sprinting on the on the trainer like you yeah. would outside. So,
1: I, um, I think too for triathlon pacing. I think the best thing to do is a percentage of FTP rather than just what it said. I say a percentage of FTP and then practice that actual ride. And especially because of triathlon, if you're doing, um, if you do a practice like race simulation of what your percentage of FTP is, unless it's like an Ironman, it's really long. It should be, it should be hard, but not that hard, right? Because you're training to actually run afterwards. So it's not going to be totally debilitating. Like, you know, if you're practicing a 40 K TT all the time. And then if, if you can kind of see, oh yeah, that that was a good pace. I feel very worked, and I could still run a fast 10k or half Ironman or a half marathon after this.
0: Yeah, the next part to your question, LT, is you say uh, please re- please reiterate general pacing percentage for of FTP for sprint, Olympic half and full Ironman races. I haven't heard them in one place.
2: So LT, this is, uh, I think I plucked this from Jim Repberg. Um, he's, he's a long time. Uh, he's, he was previously a professional triathlete coaches now he's very knowledgeable resource and he's very science based. Um, and he pins it down to, um, so both intensity factors and normalized power, which basically carries straight across. So for sprint it's 1.03 to 1.07, which translates to roughly, you know, 103% of your FTP up to 107% of your FTP for Olympic. No, it's a 100- hundred. Oh yeah. Yeah. For Olympic 0.95 to 1.0. So you're going to be working at roughly 95% of your threshold power up to hundred percent of your threshold power. And as, and as Nate says, you don't want to take all this on faith. You actually want to apply this in your workouts and see if this is actually realistic falling at 95% versus all the way up at threshold can be comparatively very different, especially when it comes to running off the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, with half, yeah. half distance, it's, uh, the range is 0.83 to 0.87. So somewhere, you know, roughly. You know, 85% of your threshold is a pretty ambitious pace for a half. And then a full uh, 0.7 to 0.76. So about 70% to 76%. And all these things are basically for mid-packers. They're going to be people who just want to finish and they're going to fall below these ranges. They're going to be elite level athletes and Kona qualifiers who are going to fall above them. But for mid-pack, which, you know, encapsulates most people, these are pretty solid ranges. Yeah, for my half Ironmans, I aim for 85%. Which is
1: right smack in the middle of your stuff. And that gets me pretty quick and with a good half after that. Well, good for me. <laughs> There's uh, a, <laughs> we have beer. Brandon, Br- Brandon Need is now working with us and he was just doing a, he was uh, racing at Coeur d'Alene and I think the first 10 of his half marathon miles were at a 545 pace. And then he's yes. like, I blew up and I ran 630s for the last three. I was like, oh, that's blowing up. 630. But he's a, he's a pro. So it's, it's pretty quick.
0: Yeah, where's he racing this weekend?
1: Vine man, Vine man. It's Fine man. uh Brandon Need, who's our employee, versus uh, Justin, Justin Rossi. Rossi. So, yeah, from the Chase. If you guys, so if you want cycling motivation, go to YouTube and Google the Chase or the Chase Trainer Road. It's a great documentary about Justin trying to win a 40k TT championship. Uh, and now he has pivoted to the software term, pivoted to go to uh, triathlon. And I think he's trying to win. Is he going to race pro? He's pro, pro, right? He's trying to get to Kona this year. Yep, he That's wants to cool. win like Ironman Hawaii, right? Is this that is his, his goal? goal? Oh no, so I think he wants, he wants to do to a half win. championship he, first, right?
0: He wants to do half this year and then Kona the next year. Now, and he's so. It's and ambitious. to give you background, we've we've kind of mentioned this before, but he's a very good swimmer. Uh, he was a collegiate like uh, ranked swimmer at North Carolina. Um, yeah, it's really good. And if you were to build he, a triathlete,
1: this is how you build it <laughs> exactly.
0: Yep, he even he even has and no offense Justin but he even has like a um uh, like an abnormally uh, curved back, and when he's on a bike when he's like it's a perfect aerodynamic profile. I mean he's he's built for this stuff. He he is a big guy but he's built for this stuff. And of course he's an incredible cyclist and time trialist especially. So. He's working on his run. Um when you when you yeah. ask him it's definitely a huge concern on his mind, but he's he's putting in the work to to get it done. So it'll be interesting if to he, see how these two guys compare this weekend because it's like Justin's an absolute hammer on the bike. Brandon is no slouch whatsoever. He's a, he's a beast too, but Brandon's run is really fast and Justin's run is not there, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see how those two play out. If you could
1: combine the two, I would be like a world championship would be in his Uh grasp with the, with the fast run and the fast bike. Yeah, we'll see. It's exciting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. All right. Thanks so much for all your questions. That'll cover it for this week. Remember you can listen to this episode at trainerroad.com slash podcast or on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you find your podcasts. You can share the podcast from there as well. And we recommend doing so. We found, um, that a lot of people In fact, uh, I saw a question this week and I didn't add it in because it was redundant with another question, but somebody said, my friend shared this podcast episode on Facebook. I didn't even know it existed and I don't use your software, but I have a question. So uh, hopefully that person's listening because we answered your question there. So, um, but uh, share it out. Let people know. They can submit their questions just like you can. Uh, All you have to do, like I said, just go to trainerroad.com slash podcast. There's a form at the bottom there. You just enter in your question. Or you go on Twitter or Instagram and just use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad or reach out to us on Snapchat. Our username is TrainerRoad and you can just send us a quick video or type in your question there and we will do our best uh, to to provide you an answer there. So thanks so much for joining us. We'll chat with you guys next week. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.